Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I was looking for something, and I forgot I put it up here. This is a message from Caroline. I have been tech, I've been emailing her every day when I'm praying for her, and I thought that everybody would like to hear from her, yes? Okay. This is amazing. Thank you, Linda. Please report that the concussion I got the day before we flew is getting slowly better. The prognosis is two months. Not good. Uh, but the swelling is going down on my face and head, and the bruises on my face are not so purple and alarming. The CAT scan revealed no further fractures nor brain bleed, so the doctor at Northwest Hospital at the Southeast, that's our new hospital, cleared me uh, to go ahead with the trip. I look scary. <laughs> And Frank gets dirty looks from ladies who don't know what a sweetie he is. But I'll get better. <laughs> this is important. Matt comes to join us next week for his first trip to Turkey. Please pray that the Lord uses it to deepen his relationship with the Lord. We love all of you guys and pray for the Lord's joy. There is no other source among you. Love, Caroline and Frank. So all of you know how precious Matt, their son, is to Caroline and Frank. And so please do remember to pray for a deepening of his walk and, and for Caroline's face to clear up. That must be really horrible. 
So that was my announcement. Does anybody have any other announcements? Praise the Lord. And thank you. And that is a reminder that we have our beautiful Erica, who God literally sent. I mean, this is this is miraculous. And her husband, Lamont, has joined us this morning. So we're really grateful for that. Well, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your great and glorious mercy. We recognize, Lord, that day by day, we are growing closer to that time that we will look up and we will see you coming in the air. And you say to hasten your coming. So, Lord, we want to hasten your coming by bringing forth the good news wherever we go and by bringing glory to you in whatever way we can. So, Father, we are a small body, but we love you. And we pray that this morning we will bring glory to you and a sweet offering of praise and thanksgiving. We thank you for sending us Pastor Ray. We ask you to touch him today as he brings the message that you have given him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, as we talk about the weapons of faith, knowing that our adversary is, you know, Satan and his evilness, um, that evil has many different faces in it. And sometimes it's so subtle, and sometimes it's very prominent. So I'm here to encourage you to be alert and aware of even the small ones. So the weapons of faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. One of Satan's sly devices is to avert our minds from the help of God through our struggles against that faith or against that evil. It's kind of like the magician that draws your attention away from something because he's trying to slip something else through. And in the Bible warns us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. What would you do if you met a lion? I would throw probably Wayne in front of it, and then I would run. You would probably grab any weapon that you could find to fend off the attack. And that is true with our struggles against evil, whatever faces they have. When evil and temptation stalk us, our first response should be to flee. And when they still attack, we should then use every weapon we have to drive them away. The good news is this. God has provided the weapons, his word, his angels, his spirit, and the encouragement and prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. These and more are weapons that God provides us. We aren't alone in this battle, so why act like it? And the hope for today, Jesus spent time with his father frequently during his earthly ministry. This dedication to prayer gave him the strength that he would need to endure the temptation, the betrayal, and the physical suffering. Believers should be wise to follow his example. There's a river of life flowing out 
Psalm 37, the first eight verses, are a remarkable collection of things to do and things to not do, and how to think. If we could take all of these to heart, we would be happier and more effective and everything would be rosy. But it's a good list. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. If you would stand with me, we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. You may be Lamb seated. Our New Testament reading today comes again from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. One day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they did not know. And Jesus responded, that I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. I don't think he stuck out his tongue, but he could have. <laughs> if you'll join me in our responsive reading. Dear God, hide your word within my heart to call upon each day to call me when the trials appear or trouble comes my way. My very life is in your hand. My heart is yours to mold. Each part of me belongs to you, a story to unfold. Forgive me when I fail to live the way you want me to. Restore in me undying faith and make me more like you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for all that, anything that we look out, anything we see, anything we imagine, we know was created by you. So Lord, as we give today, as you have told us we should, we need to return some of that which you have blessed us with. Let it always be done with a free heart. And may your guiding spirit be there when, when, as we use it to help further your kingdom. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon this morning is entitled, John's Exaltation of Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Our text is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. But first, let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that our Savior, Jesus, is the word. that his alone are the words of life. And now we ask that you anoint every word that is spoken from this pulpit this morning. Make every word come off the page 
and come alive in our hearts by the power of your most Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. An overview of the text this morning. John the Baptist is admonishing his disciples by saying, Messiah, Jesus, must be exalted above everyone and everything. And I must decrease that he may increase. The biblical definition of exaltation is high and lifted up. The most high God says my ways are as far above your ways above the earth. Gentlemen, if you could show us slide number one. Revelations chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We read of heaven's exaltation of Jesus in Revelation 4. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings covered all over with eyes inside and out. And day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, the one who is, and who is still to come. I was raised in the uh, International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And this uh, foursquare comes from Ezekiel's vision which we see replicated here again. It represents the fourfold ministry of Christ. Christ the Savior, Christ the Healer, Christ our Burden Bearer, Christ the Soon Coming King. This passage in John is called John's Exaltation, and his exaltation is simply this. There is no one greater. There is salvation in no other. Only Jesus who came from heaven knows everything about God's heaven. He, Jesus, is heaven. He is heaven come down. And only he can save us. Psalm 113 verse 4 from the message. God is higher than anything and anyone outshining everything you can see in the skies. Or in other words, he outshines the cosmos. Show us slide number two, if you would, please. This is a quote from Eugene Peterson. Holy is a word that we use to designate the otherness of God. The purity, the beauty of God. God is holy. God is not a human being, even the best of human beings. 
other than this Jesus who put on flesh and walked among us. Because God is other, God is therefore also mystery. God is so other that we can never predict what he will do or get him under our control in any way whatsoever. Therefore, our only appropriate approach to God is in awe and reverence, in humble and submissive worship. I think it important to note here in the Gospel of John, after John 3.16, the rest of John's Gospel is given to demonstrating Jesus' unique relationship with his Father. Unique is truly the best way to describe Jesus. It is the best way to interpret John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten Son, his one and only Son, unique in the heaven and the earth, unique in all the cosmos, unique in all that is human or divine, never to be replicated except in your life and mine. The JWs argue that Jesus is not divine. They say he is not of the same substance as the Father. That Jesus was created by the Father. They do not believe in the Trinity. But what the JWs believe in Jesus is not new. It dates back all the way to the 3rd century and the Gnostics. By the 3rd century, Gnosticism had gained so much traction in the early church. That's how we came by the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Show us slide number 3, if you would, please. If you've never heard the Athanasian Creed, it is marvelous. We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory is equal. Their majesty is co-eternal. Every day, we need to develop an eye towards seeing the Trinity at work in our lives and the lives of all around us. We need to comprehend the Trinity at work in the life and ministry of Jesus. Show us slide number four, if you would. This is a quote from Max Lucado. I've quoted you this before, but it's so good, I've got to give it to you again. It's, uh, it should be our mantra. Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating him who we see. To see his majesty and to imitate him. 
This is the sum of Christianity. Let's unpack that thought. Do we see the Trinity at work, not only in this present day, but throughout the Old Testament? Do we comprehend that it was Jesus who spoke to Moses in the burning bush? Think about it. Who is the voice of the Trinity? Who does most of the speaking throughout Old and New Testament? Do we comprehend that it was Jesus who wrestled with Jacob? The angel of the Lord. That's Jesus in angelic form. It was Jesus, the voice of the Trinity, who spoke to Moses at Sinai. Remember the mount quaking and smoking. And a voice so piercing, so powerful that Israel begged it to stop. The Trinity delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses at Sinai. But I believe Jesus did all the speaking. Moses saw God face to face. I believe Jesus is the face of the Trinity. When the disciples asked, Lord, show us the Father, what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everywhere you see the word God in the Old Testament and the New denotes the action of the Trinity. The name God gave Moses at the burning bush, I am, is a verb. A verb shows action. God's name is a verb. Do we comprehend the Trinity at the cross? Park that thought in the back of your mind and we'll come back to it. Show us slide number five if you would. John 3, verses 22 through 26. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. Hold that thought. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Ainon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as Messiah, he is also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. What baptism did Jesus give these people? Think on that. Was it the baptism of repentance? That was John's baptism. Was it ceremonial cleansing? No. From day one, Jesus' ministry preached the arrival of the kingdom of God. 
the arrival of the kingdom of God in himself, in his person. All who believed in him were being added to the kingdom, just like all the patriarchs of the Old Testament. All who looked to the future and saw the advent of Messiah. Another quote from Max Lucado. The cross of Jesus Christ rests on the timeline of history like a magnificent diamond. All believers who died before the advent of Christ looked into the future and saw their redemption in the Messiah and his cross. While we in the church age look to the cross. The Old Testament looked to the cross. We in the church age look back to the cross. Show us slide number six, if you would. This answers our question about what baptism Jesus gave. The words of Christ. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, present tense, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Therefore, the disciples and all that believed on Jesus during his earthly ministry received salvation the moment they believed. But they, like all Old Testament believers who look forward to the cross, had to wait in paradise. Wait for what? The remission of their sins, which was not accomplished until Jesus' crucifixion. And what happened three days that Jesus was in the grave? A great exodus of paradise. Jesus emptied out paradise and transported all there to God's heaven. As the scriptures say, he, Jesus, led captivity captive. Those in paradise were held captive, not against their will but captive nonetheless, and they were led to heaven. Jesus personally led the graduation of all the saints in paradise to heaven. Here in verse 22, I believe that which we now call the sacrament of water baptism is the baptism that Jesus performed in the Judean countryside. He baptized those who had professed faith in him. That's what water baptism is all about. It's a profession of faith. My sins are buried in the water. And as I rise up, I rise up in Christ. Question. Was the thief on the cross baptized? I don't think he had time. Water baptism is a sacrament. 
Fasten your seatbelts. This may shock some of you. But water baptism is not salvation. <clears throat> it is not a component of salvation. Nor is it requisite for salvation. Ask the thief on the cross. But you ask, well then, why should I be baptized? Because it is a command of Jesus, a sacrament. Because you received a special anointing. How many of you have been baptized? Did you feel a special anointing of Christ at your baptism? If you didn't, do it again. Every command of Jesus carries a blessing. And baptism is your witness. It is your testimony of faith in Christ Jesus. Water baptism is a ceremony whereby a person professes their faith in the atoning work of Christ. Which, by the way, is the atoning work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Back to our text. John 3, 27. This from the NLT. John the Baptist replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. What has God given from heaven? His kingdom. His kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? If you're a believer, you're in it. Right now. If you're following Jesus, you're knee deep in it. Hopefully you're drowning in it. So what does it mean when we use the term kingdom dynamics? I've preached on this before. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 and chapter 6. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And by the way, Linda is currently teaching on kingdom dynamics. And if you ladies haven't checked that out, you should do so. But let me ask you this. Are you walking the kingdom walk? Are you talking kingdom talk? Are you breathing in kingdom air? Are you breathing in the spirit of the living God? Are you living your entitlement, your royal station as a child of God? And do you understand your responsibilities as royalty in God's kingdom? Are you asking every day for the Lord to open your eyes to what he is doing here in your town, on your block, in your house, in your heart. Show us slide number seven, if you would, please. While we're talking about the kingdom, 
Let's talk about the kingdom of the cross. There is no kingdom of God without the kingdom of the cross. Do these three crosses represent Jesus and two thieves either side of them? Or do they represent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The sacrifice of the cross represents the sacrifice of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity was fully present at the cross in Christ Jesus. The Trinity suffered the cross. But I submit to you, most Christians do not understand the Trinity at Gethsemane. Did you know that hematidrosis is a documented medical condition, sweating blood. It's in the medical textbooks. It happens. It occurs when the capillaries in the sweat glands burst and blood flows through that sweat gland through the pores of your skin. And it is brought on by extreme stress. Why did Jesus sweat blood? I believe the Holy Spirit gave Jesus a very full understanding about what he was to suffer. But the reason Jesus sweat blood was the thought of separation from his Father. This had never happened. In all time, and all eternity, this had never happened. Christ on the cross, taking upon himself, his person, the sins of the world, could God the Father participate in this? God the Father had to leave. God the Father had to turn his back on himself, on his son. Sin is eviscerated in the presence of God. So for God to remain at the cross would have eviscerated the body of Christ. He had to leave. And that departure broke Christ's heart. Think about that a moment. Christ taking on the sins of the entire world. Past, present, and future. Back to our text. Show us slide number eight, please. John 3, 31 through 36. He, Jesus, has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. 
Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life. But remains under God's angry judgment. When we talk about John's exaltation of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, what's my exaltation of Jesus? What should it be? The most glorious exaltation of Jesus that you can offer him is to share his gospel to a dying John 3.29, this is John the Baptist speaking. Take note of this, it's beautiful. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. John's speaking about himself. Who's the bride? You and I. Who's the groom? Our Lord Jesus. And here John is Jesus' best man. I'm so happy to be here to hear him exchange his vows with his bride. John here is saying, I know my place in history. I know to what I have been called. I have been called to herald the wedding of my Lord to his bride. And I'm so happy to have witnessed that wedding. But now it's time for me to exit stage left. I must decrease that he may increase. Revelation 22, verse 17 from the NLT. The Spirit and the Bride, the Spirit of Christ and His Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this invitation come. Let anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, Come where? To the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the Spirit's clarion call. And it is through the church. If the church does not issue the invitation, how will the world know there is a wedding to attend? How will they know there is a feast to enjoy? A honeymoon that will last throughout eternity. This is profound. Think on this. The Spirit does not issue the invitation without the bride. And the bride without the Spirit cannot. You ever tried to witness of yourself? Didn't go very well, did it? 
But when you witness under the unction of the Holy Spirit, things happen. Hallelujah, things happen. Unless the Spirit is working in you and through you, you will not issue that invitation. So what do we do? Simple. We allow the Lord to fill us up, fill us to overflowing. The task of getting people to the feast is not your job. Think on that. The task of getting people to the feast is not your job. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your responsibility to bring anyone into the kingdom of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He does the heavy lifting. All you do is issue the invitation. Your job is to simply deliver the invitation and point the way. I told you last week of my fascination with the uh, renowned psychologist Jordan Peterson. I want you to listen to this quote. To hear the gospel from an analytical point of view, it's a beautiful thing. You cannot write a more tragic story than that of the suffering of Jesus Christ. It is a story, an aggregation of everything people are afraid of. Everything. There is no death more painful than crucifixion, a slow, agonizing death by suffocation, aided by dehydration and exposure to the elements. Plus, Jesus knew this excruciating pain was coming. Plus, he was betrayed by a friend. Plus, those who loved him most fled from his side. Plus, your own people, the race you created, those whom you came to save, turned against you and sentenced you to death. Plus, you're a victim of the Roman Empire by way of a heinous plot of the religious leaders who claim to know God. Plus, you are completely innocent. Plus, everybody knows it. Plus, your own people hate you so much that they choose to release a criminal who everyone knew to be a murderous deviant instead of you. And you're young. And all you've ever done is help and heal and point people to the God of grace. And if we look deeply enough, if we look deeply enough into the abyss of pain, betrayal, death, and tyranny, what do we see? If we look hard enough, we see light we see the light of a glorious resurrection. A resurrection that can be ours if we only believe. Jesus suffered the most horrific scenario possible. It was the sum total of all our fears. 
a greater tragedy than all of Shakespeare's tales of woe rolled into one. This is the story a dying world needs to hear. And it's our job to tell it. Can I hear an amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, wonderful things happen when we gather here together in this your sanctuary. By the light of your person, Lord Jesus, we see the truth of not only who we are, but who you have called us to be. In the words of Rich Mullins, we are little keepers of the promise, keepers of the truth, keepers of the power of your word. Little in our own minds, but not in yours. In your mind, in your heart, we are mighty. And through your spirit, we are mighty. Mighty enough to pull down the strongholds of the enemy and split the darkness of this world's night. Split it wide open with the light of your love. Make it so, Father. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a benediction song for you. Um, let us let us do the, the benediction song if if you can key that up. That that will uh, do a magnificent job of setting the tenor for our communion.
Because of what?